Welcome to the Relationship Renovation Podcast. I'm Tara Kerwin. And I am EJ Kerwin. And today is uh, kind of part two from our last podcast, Hi Frisky. Yes. If anyone listened to that part one, thank you for listening. I know I was pretty vulnerable, felt really good though, and I hope that some people were able to really resonate with um, my story of the, at this time, low frisky partner. Yeah. I mean, from my standpoint, it was just like really heart opening in some ways. I mean, it's something that we've talked about so much throughout our relationship, but maybe like one of the most like vulnerable, weird, weird that it's in a podcast, but like (laughs) one of the most vulnerable, you know, moments of us together talking about this. I know I could like, cause we talk, I mean, we try to talk about it, you know, at least weekly, but for some reason, like I could feel it bubbling. I could feel it bubbling. And I was like, I'm not going to cry. I can't cry. <laughs> and then it just, whoo, it kind of overcame me and it was okay actually. And I feel like such a release. I was like, can I do the second part right now? And then I'm like, there's no better time because yeah. we're in that soft space. We're in that vulnerable place. The reason why we're doing this is because we have sat across from so many couples who obviously don't have the same story as us, but struggle with intimacy, struggle when one person feels the lower desire, lower frisky, the other person struggles with feeling the higher desire. And then it ultimately ends up in like a very big disconnect for them. And so us sharing our story was really the only way for me to connect with the other couples because, you know, I could be like, oh yeah, talk about it and do this. But like, we hear that from so many people and it's a journey and it's constantly cultivating it and it changes. And, and we know a lot of couples have learned from our experience because we took our experience and, you know, we made lemonades out of lemons. Is that what it is? Whatever. Something like that. (laughs) So just to, you know, kind of frame this again at the beginning is we, we did our first episode around the low frisky partner. And so what we're talking about, again, is couples who have the inevitable dynamic of a couple where one person has the higher sex drive and one person has the lower sex drive. And we're talking about a little bit in the general sense, but really greatly in the last one and, and hopefully today as well, we're talking about our journey through this, which has been kind of a long journey through this. And the first episode Tara really did a lot of sharing and she talked about, you know, how she's gone through this experience of being the low frisky person. Mm-hmm. And today- For only eight years. Come only on. eight years, just Jeez. almost a decade. <laughs> I'm ready to switch to high Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Hopefully we can pass each other uh, in the middle there for a little bit. Women's Viagra, yes, please. Yes. <laughs> and so today we're going to, you know, I guess I'll start. And I can just ask questions. You can ask clarifying questions, you know. So I am in our relationship, the high frisky person. And wow, I mean, where to begin? It's, we've always talked that it's an unenviable position for both people. Like, you know, and I've tried to keep my awareness of that. But I'm going to open up today just about like what it's like to be that person. I mean, one thing we shared in the last one was that really what, initiated this big shift in our relationship around sex was was when we 
had our twins. I mean, you would agree with that, right? Yeah, one hundred percent. I mean, because what? Because make sure, we're like on I the said same in the page. last one, like what I remember, you know, sort of my last real memory of us being very connected in that way was our honeymoon, which was in Costa Rica, which was like amazing. But uh, well, let me just can I just challenge that a little? Throughout my pregnancy, it was super fun. Yeah, it was, but it was still kind of weird, right? But we were still like, I my sex drive was still very yes. But I can remember a couple of really weird moments. (laughs) (laughs) I did have like sixty pounds of baby. Yes, yes. (laughs) Okay, sorry, but yes, but honeymoon, of course, yeah. But who's not, right? Well, yeah, yeah. But uh, no, I hear what you're saying. See, we got for those of you who don't know, we got pregnant with our twins probably on our honeymoon because just after we got back. From that, six out. weeks later, we yeah. found out. So it's not like our honeymoon period was short. <laughs> yes, it was, it was a short <laughs> Just honeymoon. to like put that out there for people yeah. who haven't listened to all of our podcasts. Yeah. So, you know, we had our twins and, and that was like, it felt normal on some level that like, you know, right after you right. had you know given birth that like, well, this was going to go offline for like a year. Well, you couldn't even have sex for like two months after because yeah. of the C-section. Yes. The, the the complicating factor for us was that it was such a stressful time after them, just like life-wise, like work that I had to up my caseload. You all of a sudden weren't working and were home with these like really intense colicky twins. Which who, was the hardest who were inconsolable. Done. Yeah. And which threw our relationship into some turmoil, Absolutely. you know, really just destabilized us, period. Like mm-hmm. the, not even like just in the sex realm, but like holistically it threw us. Right. Which came to our center today, but yes, people know that. Okay, go ahead. But then, you know, so a year, two years later, right? when it like my- It didn't come want, back. Yeah, my desire to connect with you in that same way was unmet. Shut down. Yeah. I mean, it was <laughs> just like, it was, it was gone, you know, mm-hmm. and the person that I had seen you as- and the way in which we had been able to pretty consistently connect from early on in our relationship went away. Um, it was confusing and kind of like lonely. And eventually it started to feel like a lot of rejection. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's, I gosh, gosh, where do you even start? I mean, that that's what it's been. It's been a lot of like, and here's the the higher drive person, the high frisky, is at least I felt pretty powerless. Like that I felt like I had no control over that aspect of our relationship. Like I basically kind of felt like I just got to wait and see if this changes. Yep. And what I began to feel and you know and honestly like you know we're being really honest like kind of continue to feel is like wow it's not changing what do i do right and how do i talk to you about it Mm -hmm. without making you feel bad but there's a lot of frustration right Mm -hmm. there's a lot of frustration that you know I, i imagine that you pick i don't know i mean like what did you pick up on from me you know in those first few years of this Definitely frustration and powerlessness, which then would make me withdraw more because then I already, it's so interesting because I'm comparing like, as you talk, low frisky, high frisky, we both feel powerless. We both feel lonely in it. I felt anxious. You felt more rejected, 
And people think that they're alone in it, yet they're feeling the same things, right? But it's like, I already felt bad, and then I see you're feeling bad, and I just really want to be so mad at you for like, how dare you feel bad when I'm the one feeling freaking worse? I'm the one that lost my sex drive. At least you still have yours. I was like jealous of you. And so I was, it was hard for me to hold that space for you because I was so suffering myself. Like I'm the one that had lost it. And here you are like frustrated. That was when it was pretty unhealthy and we didn't talk about it. So, but that's what I did see from you. I saw more of the anger piece in the beginning. Judgmental piece too, for sure. Yeah. Like, I don't know, like judgment. Like, I don't know if I feel judgment. I don't feel judgmental of it. Like, I don't feel like I'm sitting here being like, what's wrong with you? Not now, but in early on. Even then, like, I honestly did not feel that because I, because I intellectually understood and you, even though we weren't always communicating really super healthy about it or consistently, when you would tell me about it, it, like, I could tell it was really hard on you and that like, that you weren't choosing. It wasn't like you were like, oh, I'm just, I'm like turning this switch off. I knew that it was something that had eluded you, you know, it just like went away. You know what that is then really quick. I just had this epiphany. I was so judging myself and I put so much pressure on myself, like just fix it. Like something's got to, and then I think I projected that you were judging and you were doing the pressuring. It was a way for me to like keep my, even though that was my own internal. Yeah. Yeah, so that's projection. I was judging myself, so I automatically felt like you were judging me. I was putting pressure on myself, so automatically thought you were pressuring me. What I found was that, like, I was in this like ongoing sort of yo-yo between like I just won't have those thoughts. Like I'll just like not go down that road. I won't flirt. I won't let her know I want that I like desire her in that way. So I would like just like okay, like shut off the valve, like clamp it down. And then occasionally just like being like, okay, I'll try. I'll see what happens. I'll try a little bit. It's Saturday night. Maybe, you know, maybe it'll happen. I'll try. And then so it's just like this constriction, then try, constriction, try. And like anything, like when you're doing and feeling like you're not succeeding, you get like, again, back to that hopelessness thing. And I I think a big part also for me is just that like total like feeling not desirable. Right. And I'm steadfast in like, I'm, I've never been and never will be the type of person who is not faithful. You know, like that's yeah. just like encoded in me. Absolutely. It is. And so in the context of our relationship, then it's like, okay, well then there's this aspect of me that just goes completely dormant too. Right. The one person who's supposed to see me in that way just doesn't see me in that way. And that's been that in some ways, you know, there's the lack of connection with you, but then there's also like this other side of it for me where like, I've lost like this feeling of being a, like a sexual being. Because mm-hmm. if I'm not doing it with you, then I'm not doing it. Mm-hmm. And if you're not seeing me in that way, I stop seeing myself in that way. Yep. And that feels, that feels like horrible. Right. You know, honestly, that's one of the things, you know. Mm-hmm is just feeling like, wow, there's this part of me that is just sort of dying on the vine. Like it's just like withering away. Which I think hearing that, like that's where empathy can come in because that's kind of what happens for the low frisky partner. They like lose that part of themselves and it's like cut off and not consciously and not intentionally. And 
I don't know, creating that empathy of like, God, because I know what it feels like when I'm, you know, because I have this higher frisky, higher desire. And like I've behaviorally, I've learned emotionally to like cut that off. And I know how horrible that feels because it's a part of me, but somehow using that insight to like combine the two experiences together is going to help you guys each understand each other. Cause even though they're different, right? Someone's got that urge and that desire and like attack mode and frisky frisk, you know, the other person really wants to have it. Like they're not choosing to like be without desire. Just something is happening at a biological, emotional level. Yeah, it's just, I mean, the hard part of that is because I get it, like, because a lot of times throughout the years, you've been like, we got to keep talking about it. And we talk about it. And especially because it's gone on, we talked about it, it's gone on for a long time. It's just like talking about it sometimes makes me feel worse almost. Because I'm just like, okay, we're talking about it. But like, really, we're just talking about this, like, what feels like an unsolvable puzzle. Mm-hmm. And I know like, you know, like you, we shared in the last episode, like last night, like I saw you and you were just like, so like, you look great. And, and I was so attracted to you. And there was just like nothing coming back. And not even like in the sexual sense, but just like flirting, right? Mm-hmm. And it's just like, that's where the hopelessness comes in. Cause it's like, wow, we can talk about this, but. But from that conversation, you made a request. I'm more aware. It continues with more awareness. We get better at talking about it. I start to see you and feel you in a different way since you're holding space for me while I'm going through a really difficult time. Because if you weren't able to hold space for me and be in that powerless place, you can forget about it. Why even change then? Because I'm powerless too. So the more to me, because I feel like like even yesterday in session, I'm like, oh my God, he's so cute because I'm still attracted to you for sure. And I see you and I'm like, you're so amazing. And you're such a great therapist. You're such a great dad. Like I have those amorous feelings, like admiration and appreciation. It's just like, I had so much anxiety around sex that that part is just missing for me. But the more safe emotionally I feel with you, it's starting to move. And anxiety, as we know, if we don't get anxiety out and externalize it, It becomes trapped. People will have panic attacks. People will medicate with substances, whatever it takes to calm that anxiety. The one thing we know about anxiety is if you put it out there, EJ, this is what happened. This is how I'm feeling. It starts to dissipate, but you got to do it over and over again or anxiety. I mean, it's like a big thing to be anxious about. It's, you know, physical, sexual intimacy. It's a huge part of our lives and of a relationship. And to like work through something, again, for me, it's been eight years, but I'm working through my anxiety. You're learning ways to help me with my anxiety by just talking about it with me, staying present, doing massage, right? That we can talk about it after. It's so important. So I I hear that powerlessness piece, that hopelessness, but to me, like being able to have the conversations more and understand for myself what's going on instead of put it in a little compartment and tuck it away at the bottom of the sea, that's movement, right? Can I say, EJ, in three months from now, my little frisky scale is going to go to five. Right now it's at a zero. No. 
Can I hope and have an intention that I'll keep working on myself to see what happens there? Absolutely. You know, but that's, to me, that's all I have right now is that I, and that I want to make you feel loved and appreciated and adored in other ways, you know, but that's, then it's on you to like, be okay with that or not, you know? Yeah, that's been the struggle. And I think other people that are on that like high desire side who do feel powerless because they feel like the low desire has the low frisky has like, you know, all the power is like, is that relationship with hope. There are moments where I am hopeful and I'm like, I think this is going to change, you know, and and we're going to be able to connect consistently in this way again. And then there's times where I lose that hope. You know, and that's like, and that's not good for us. It's not good for me. Right. You know? It's not good for you. you so know? how do you, because cause one thing I know is like, yes, the lower frisky, lower desire partner holds all the control. Sex is going to happen when that partner decides, yeah, okay, it can happen. And that control is not a place where they want to be, right? The higher desire partner has to hold that place of rejection, and frustration and powerlessness. And so somehow the two people have to move through it together. To me, it's like the higher desire, a higher frisky person has to allow and let the lower desire partner like, hey, this isn't all on you. You know, because that's the biggest thing. Like you want to help that partner recognize it is not their responsibility to take on that control. Because that just causes, guess what, more anxiety. Oh my God, like it'll happen when it's up to me. That does not help. So what do What's you think? What's the question? <laughs> I'm not sure what the question like, is. Like how do you help? Because you're saying you're in this place of hopelessness, right? At times, yeah. Yeah. And your partner is in this place of total control. How do you see it coming into the middle of it? Because here's that lower desire partner saying, I'm going to do what I can to talk about it, to be vulnerable, to talk about my experience, to continue to work on myself, to let my partner know that I care about them in other ways, even though that little frisky scale is kind of not moving right now. Like, what does the higher desire partner do? I mean, I, um, I focus on what works in our relationship a lot. I focus on the fact that times I do feel loved. I really try to cultivate the moments that do feel connecting, like that's important. Like when we laugh together, when we have like moments that I can tell that, you know, that I matter, you know, cause I think that's the other part about like that lack of sexual connection is you start to feel like you don't matter. And so I, I really just like try to cultivate just the best loving relationship we can have and it helps that like i know that that's an aspect of yourself and an aspect of relationship that you do want it to be connected in mm-hmm. and so i just remind myself a lot of that you know i just like try to connect with that what about the i'm really curious what about like what would you say to your partner around the control piece i mean that i that i that i recognize that you don't really have control you know, that I recognize that I'm not really being controlled, you know, that even though I might feel rejected at times, or I might feel alone in that way, I know that you aren't, you know, control denotes that like you're making the decision to make me feel that way. Right. 
Like I get that. Now that's the thing about you it might, being so emotional. Yeah. In the moment, I might struggle like instinctually that like if I want to connect you with that way and I like flirt a little bit with you and it just like goes nowhere, you ignore it. I might then be like, what the heck, you know, what's going on? But then when I, when I settle back right. and now we have conversations about it, I get that you're not like making that choice. Yeah. You know? and See, I, that's so connecting, right? Just for like you in those moments where you feel rejected and the moments where you're flirting with me and I feel frozen. We might not know exactly what to do in that moment, but we think about it and we can come back and I can say to you like, that was my anxiety. You can say to me like, oh my gosh, I know like this isn't about control. And then you have something to work from, right? Because all I know is, and I can't speak for other low desire, low frisky peeps out there. I just want to hear my partner be like, honey, this isn't all on you. We're going to be this together. I'm going to support you every step of the way. And you know what? If you don't have that sex drive there, we're going to do something more. Let's find other ways to have quality time just feeling that support. I'm still sexually frustrated for sure, honey, but this is on us. It's not on you. If you said that to me, I would feel this massive sigh of relief. Oh God, I'm not alone in this and I don't have to control this. This is not, he's going to take half of this for me. That feels really good. To me, that's inching closer to intimacy and getting that desire again. I just, I don't know about other people. That would feel really good for me. But what would feel really good for you? So I was able to say, hey, from a partner who struggles from the low frisky side, what would feel really good for me is like, hey, babe, I know that we're in this together and I'm going to support you every step of the way because I know that this is not intentional and you're struggling with this just as much as I am. What is your request? What do you need from me? I mean, I think it's, there's a certain validation that you don't get when you're not connecting with your partner in that way, right? And that like gets, that's I think really difficult, at least for me personally, right? And so if there's any other ways that you're able, you know, and a lot of it's like, it's about like physical touch, you know? Like literally this is like funny, but like when you would pluck my eyebrows you know, when you would do something like that, that's sort of satisfied on some level a very base thing. It's like, it's like somebody like touching you mm -hmm. and paying attention and feeling a intimate physical connection to somebody, like anything like that. So you need me to pluck your eyebrows. Yeah, I, I want it to be very concrete so I can be like, okay, so physical touch, like, hey, I'd love it if you would hug me more or touch me, give me compliments. Yeah. I'm not sure. Pluck my eyebrows, right? It's about somebody validating that they want to be physically connected I got and you. like coming behind. And I think that's one of the tensions is like, I think sometimes the low frisk person is afraid like, well, if I do put my hand on their back, then that's going to mean that then they're going to come on to me later and it's yes. going to be expected. I'm scared. But like, God, if you like, when I'm whatever, making like PB and J sandwiches for the kids and you come up and give me a hug from behind, it's like, ah. Uh, I'm being like seen that, in, a, in yeah. a different sort of way. And like, I know like you mentioned it earlier because you were like, oh, I told you last night that you were a great therapist. And I was like, you know. And that you looked not, really cute. But that's, that doesn't hit the thing that, that I miss. 
which is is greatly so about word, physical connection. Okay, I hear you. So words like you look handsome today or you're such a great therapist, that is not helpful in those moments. It For you, it's about touching. It doesn't make that connection because, because the connection of sexuality is that like you can't help yourself that you want to touch that person because there's something energetically and attraction wise that you just like have to connect with them physically. And so somebody saying like, hey, you're handsome today, it's it's hitting a different button. And that the fact that if you walk up and you give me a hug or you put your hands on my face and kiss me, then it's like, if she's doing that, there must be something about me that she's drawn towards that she wants to connect with me. And that's like, but I get it. That's hard from your side because I don't think you have that drive to do that. No. So that's, there's the conundrum is like, you're looking for this like validation that you're not alone in the emotional struggle of high frisky, low frisky. I'm over here in the, in the struggle of like, there's this whole aspect of myself that there's no connection to. It's like when you're turning a car, right? And it won't turn on and it's like, you know, it's like you, you hear it, but there's a block. And that's the same thing as like the high frisky person is like the ignition, but then there's, there's a missing connection to start the engine. And so my engine then is just dormant. So would you say like, I think it's important for couples who do struggle with this, right? And it's inevitable, like you said, to talk about ways that feel safe with each other. I think so. To do that. Like I can pluck your eyebrows. That feels super <laughs> safe for me. And I also like shaving your little ears. <laughs> and like, that feels like in your- nobody else does that, right? And there's, you're saying, t- yeah, it's, it's a unique. similar thing. Cause there's, Thank you. I only have sex with you. That's our agreement, right? Like that. And I don't want to be with anyone else in the entire world in that way. But, you know, <laughs> there is a parallel, like, I'm not going to let anybody else pluck my eyebrows. I'm not going to, you know. Are you hearing this, people? <laughs> unless, I'm, unless I'm like, you know, but whatever, like, you know, is, and so if there are other ways, and maybe a couples can talk about it, if there are other ways where you can physically connect with your partner. Which is unique to the two of you. That feels safe, that feels safe to you, because I want you to feel safe, but then I want to be, you know, honestly, like, I want to be touched. Yeah. And that's what happens is you know, just to be like really honest and direct is like, you're not having intimate touch when you're in this place with somebody. You're not having intimate touch for, you know, with some couples we work with weeks, months, years, years. like nobody is touching you in that yeah. way. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's not good for a relationship. It's not good. Yeah. You know, so. And I will say like, it's just, again, those intentions, like last night when we were sleeping in bed, I like had my hand on your hand. And I also know like you like when our feet touch, but just like I will put my little hand on your hairy arm and I'll really feel what it is like to touch you and love you. And that feels really good. Usually sometimes you're snoring already. Do you think it's safer to touch me? Because like, I don't know you do that because I'm unconscious. Like, is it safer to touch me when I'm... No, you just fall asleep first. (laughs) Well, I'm just wondering like if it is like for you, like you can bridge that gap and actually touch me because you know that I won't take that as, cause we talked about this last week. Yeah. I was like, we were laying together. It was non-sexual for me. I was just touching your back and you were, you said I was afraid that you were wanting to have sex. And it was like, maybe it's, it's just not safe to touch me because you're afraid it'll go there. 
I mean, it's just, that's just the anxiety of it always. I mean, that's what's high. And so I just talk about it with you. That's why we had that moment last week and immediately like after within that hour, it's like, I have to tell you what happened for me. Right. And so I just keep getting it out and talking about it. But no, I don't, I feel like we have moved into this place where I can be really vulnerable with you. And even though I can get scared, like I know that that's just a false narrative because you've done nothing to make it not feel safe. Um, I think I, you know, I read the news later at night and you fall asleep and I just do that because it makes me feel safe at night. So it's not because it might maybe used to be, but it's not that now. I just like to touch you and feel you and know that you're my husband. I'm glad and, to hear that. And sometimes I make sure you're breathing because <laughs> I want to make sure you're alive. I mean, I will say like when you uh, described our interaction after that thing that happened in bed when I touched you and then that gave me confidence in saying to couples out there, if you do talk to your partner about these difficult things consistently over a period of time, you will feel more connected and you will feel more together in this and you will increase your hope that things will change. Because when you described that, I felt like, oh, that we actually did a really good job at that. Mm -hmm. Like that didn't separate us. There wasn't that weirdness of having a difficult conversation about something that involves sex. Like I felt like we navigated that conversation really well and we've definitely in past years not. Right. And that became a dividing moment. So, you know, we've gotten better at talking about it. You guys, that's all you can ask for. Like, it's a journey. It's not a light switch. You start talking about talking about it. You make requests. You let the person understand and share your experience. You try to be vulnerable. You try to say, hey, this is what would feel really good for me. I hear for you, EJ, like plucking your eyebrows, any kind of physical, anything, holding your cheeks and letting you know that I love you. Like that's for right now, not forever, but right now that is going to feed a little bit of that frisky scale when my frisky scale is right now, you know, not online, yeah. but, but I want it to be. Yeah. I mean, again, we said this at the end of the last episode, this is definitely something that sometimes you and your partner just need help with. Mm -hmm. You know, that you, you need to sit with a therapist, you know, you need to work with a relationship coach, like whatever, like, you know, that sometimes you just need help with it because you need that other person in the room sort of like, you know, because if you can't, we, we joke about this with couples. If you're having a difficult time negotiating what color to paint a wall or whether there was a straw in a drink or not, you know, if that's causing arguments, how the heck are you going to talk about the most sort of sensitive and vulnerable thing, sex and intimacy? So, so if you're having a hard time talking about those lower level things, then you got to get in and get some help and get some right. support. But what we've found in working with couples is- And, and with each other. <laughs> and with each other for sure when you work on these things and you talk about it over and over and you accept that you're not always going to get it right and you are compassionate with each other and empathetic, you get better and better at it. Absolutely. You know, and you get more and more hope. Like, I don't know, I feel like I'm the most hopeful about our relationship now mm. than I've been since before we got married. Mm. Yeah, I could say the same thing, actually. Yeah that I was super hopeful then. Yeah. And I'm pretty super hopeful now. Like, and, but it's, it's, then it was much more based upon early relationship dynamics. And right. now it's based upon work and trust. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know, so we did this two-part series on high frisky, low frisky. You know, this is definitely a topic that we can talk and talk and talk about. And, and I know that everybody has their own stories around this. You know, please reach out, you know, send us an email, reach out to us via social media and give us questions or tell us things about your own relationship. And, you know, we'd be happy to kind of like move the ball further down the field uh, in talking about this more and more, because it is an important thing that inevitably every couple deals with. Yep. And the more you're able to build experiences where you can talk about it and it feels safe and okay, that builds confidence, you know, just try it. You have nothing to lose. Yeah. All right, Titi. All right. All right. Those are done. Yeah. (laughs) Well, thank you for listening and hearing our story again. We hope it was helpful. We wish there was this magic answer to it. I guess our magic answer is just start talking about it and being compassionate towards each other and allowing yourselves to kind of grieve something that was and is different now, but you're on a different journey for it to be, you know, even deeper. You never know. Yeah. I like to think this has brought us closer together. Absolutely. And I like to think that we're going to reconnect in that way. Mm -hmm. Well, we already are connecting in that way by being vulnerable and holding that space for each other. That's to me, that is awesome. All right. That was a little, uh, that was a little high, uh, frisky, low frisky moment there at the end of, again, like just our different perspectives around it. Yeah, it was. Work in progress. (laughs) All right, guys, take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. All right. Mm Bye-bye. Bye. Me and you just singing on the train. Me and you listening to the rain. Me and you, we are the Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at trylifemd.com. That's T R Y L I F E M D.com.